Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 14th, 2011. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds of free audios for download going back quite a few years where I try to show you the shortcuts to the understanding the big system you're born into. The system that runs all your media, owns it all, uh, TVs, everything, uh, all your all your newspapers, and the entertainment industry too, of course, which is very important parts as our culture has changed by the ways that, that uh, we're affected by what we see, what we watch for entertainment. In fact, our guards are down. We're not really expecting to be programmed through entertainment, but that's exactly how it works, actually. And um, I show you the big organizations that set up a, a superstructure across the world a long time ago to take over all of its natural resources, all of its food supply, water, all the minerals, gold, etc., in order to run the world and own the world, basically. A feudal system, if you like. And it's been, it's been likened to a feudal system by uh, the, their official historian, Professor Carl Quigley, in his own books. So we're living through the last part of this part of the agenda as they go into the next part. And believe you me, these guys run it like a big business, always working 50 years ahead, 100 years ahead with their plans. And uh, we just live through a script, in a sense, including the wars that are scripted. To, and when to happen, when to start, when to finish, when to go on to the next one. That's all done before you're even born, folks. It's just astonishing. Even the Vietnam War, you know, the Americans were talking about going in there after World War II. The CIA had been looking at continuous wars for the whole of the 20th century with a whole list of things to do. So I try, as I say, to give you the shortcut so you can uh, understand it as much, much better than trying to figure it out from the media. The media gives you partial truths. And that's how a good liar operates, of course, bringing you to the wrong conclusions. You must have the other half of the story to understand and come to the proper conclusions for yourself. Now, you can help me, too, by buying the books and discs that I've got for sale at cutting3medias.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. Or some people send cash, and you can also use PayPal. You'll find out how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Remember, straight donations are really, really welcome. Now, what I try to do on the broadcast is, is to chronicle the events as we go through them and compare them to the past, to books in the past. We're big players who helped set up this present structure. But some, of them, some of them are actually long dead now, but uh, they helped set up this, this system as to where we would be today. And they've been awfully, awfully dead on with, with what they wanted uh, they've destroyed the family unit. They, they created promiscuity, massive promiscuity, so no one can bother bonding anymore. They created massive welfare states, which the central bankers love. It keeps, uh, it keeps governments borrowing money, and that's how bankers live, of course. Then they're in charge of the countries, in an actual fact, for he who controls the money controls the country. And now it's a, it's a, it's a whole planet now, really. 
And of course, the big idea was to put up central banks, private central banks, call them by your name, like a British bank or a Bank of England or a Bank of this, Bank of that. And um, they'd all come under the umbrella of the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. That was the old plan. It's a hundred odd years old, this plan, and we're living through this present part. They create crisis, crisis, and they use the crisis to amalgamate their plans and say it's the only way to fix the chaos. That's the simple technique that they use, and they've done it before, of course, uh, in, in other, other ways. Not quite not severe, severe as this one, but this is a time where they really are pushing ahead for their global governance, as I say. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. I'm talking about this big the group that uh, formed in the 1800s. I'm sure they existed long before that under different names, and they popped up. They pop up actually through history under different names, under different guises. Same people, though, descendants of the same people. And uh, we know that Lord Alfred Milner of England, he was actually born in Germany, but uh, he, he was a guy who along with the, the, the Rhodes Society, Cecil Rhodes and Rothschild, uh, set up to take over the whole world, using wars, by the way, and fomenting wars, always blaming the other side. And they were very successful at that, starting with the Boer War. And then they grabbed the diamond fields and gold fields and so on in South Africa. And uh, and they've never really stopped. But the, the plan is, is ongoing because they, do, they don't believe in democracy. They use the term democracy to overthrow other countries, but in actual fact, they don't believe in democracy at all. They believe that they are the most advanced species on the planet. The proof is in the fact that their families, even the ones that formed the society initially in the higher order, the inner party, they believe they're the most evolved species on the planet. They've held on to power after gaining it for generations. They breed very, very selectively to make sure that uh, their psychopathic genes are bred with a, with a, a woman, for instance, of another conqueror, you might say, and uh, they're guaranteed to have the same kind of, of offspring and, and they maintain their power intergenerationally. And uh, they want the, all the resources of the planet. They want uh, a, a planned society. They want a vastly reduced post-industrial society for first world countries. And uh, they're getting their way. These guys, too, are ruthless. Remember that. They're ruthless. And when you see the cancers go skyrocketing after the first polio injections, uh, that gives you a clue, since many of them talked about using inoculations before the polio injections were actually given. They talked about using uh, vaccines and, and so on to bring and reduce the populations. And, and uh, they were just as adamant today. Uh, you'll find, when you find that um, people like Rockefeller, and the Lucky Gene Club, as they call the group that he belongs to, uh, said that they must go into rapid depopulation now. So I don't know what you think he means by that, but I know, I know personally what he means by that. He means rapid depopulation, and these people don't ask for volunteers. You see, we're just surplus, surplus cattle to them. That's what we are. And they, they're not going to ask for volunteers, believe you me. They just go ahead and do it. 
And since they own the medical establishments, etc., uh, no one's going to come out of there and and, uh, and tell you, my God, they're killing us. It's not going to happen. They're on the bottom end of medical research, everything that you see from professorship down. We know, too, that the Rothschilds have been taking over uh, vast chunks of the world for a long time. India is one of their main places now, and uh, it's one, I say, they've got many others, but one of them. And they took over the farming industry there by basically going in with their own company's modified seed, putting the, the farmers under, polluting the water systems as well. They had a massive increase and suicides by farmers who lost everything, and the Rothschilds bought it up, up for pennies, basically, per acre. And uh, they're also owning, going into the auto manufacturing big time. Here's an article here. India is to be the number three auto market by 2015. It says, um, Mumbai, China, the U.S. and India, uh, that will be a pecking order of the global automobiles market by volume by 2015, according to Rothschild, the UK-based global financial advisory firm. So Mumbai, China, the US, and, and, and India. China, the US, and India, basically. Currently, India is the sixth largest market after China, the US, G- Germany, Japan, and Brazil. The market, which includes cars, trucks, and auto parts, is expected to be 3.5 million units by the end of 2011 to 12. Vikas Siegel, a global head of automotive industry at Rothschild, said at a press briefing. Automakers in India will make thrice the investment in creating capacities in the coming decade than what they have done between 1983 and 2010. Car production capacity in the country is expected to increase from 4.8 million units in 2010 to 12 million in 2018. These numbers will roll out from 30 new factories in eight years. 30 new factories in eight years. What have they done in the U.S.? The same guys that are building them over there? It says to create this capacity, fresh investment of $30 billion to $40 billion would be made by manufacturers which will in turn create 300,000 to 500,000 new jobs, according to Rothschild. India is an attractive but not an easy market, and there will be losses and casualties in the coming years, said Rothschild Report, titled India 2030, an automotive powerhouse. So... Things are going ahead as they build up the so-called third world countries using your tax money, by the way, because uh, you'll find that often these projects are matched dollar for dollar. In other words, for every private dollar invested, your countries, through various UN treaties, etc., invest a dollar here and there. So they can't lose. They cannot lose, understand. And that's what's uh, that's what's happening. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned so many times that Jack's Atali's book was one of the books called uh, The Millennium, uh, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. And Jack's Atali, he belongs to the right kind of group too, mind you. Um, very good friend of Sarkozy. And he's been advisor to, in fact, he was the boss over prime ministers in France for quite a few years. He's at the United Nations now, and he's, he talked about the, how America would be flattened industrially. And that was the plan, of course. And he said, too, eventually a good part of America would be Spanish-speaking, as if as vast hordes, he called them hordes, uh, would flood up from all Latin America into the U.S. And right on cue, here we are, it's happening right now, as he said. Everything is always planned ahead, you understand. And when these guys write books like that, they know, they know the agenda, they know the plan, they're in on the big think tank meetings, 
And he said the next boat people will be Americans leaving the shores looking for work abroad. And that's already happening because he said in the same book that uh, in this new world, this new world, uh, the big corporations will take the creme de la creme, those with the best qualifications in a particular field, and they will become the new nomads. They'll travel from uh, world city to world city um, working for the big international corporations. That's the world that's planned and called it winners and losers in the coming new world order. For those who are left behind, I think the science fiction movies have shown you what's to happen, living in rubble uh, with uh, lots and lots of uh, millions of poor people, uh, gangs everywhere, and also the massive police uh, forces that are really military forces, uh, just keeping everything slightly at bay. That's the future that's been built up. Because nothing has been brought, brought into the countries that lost all their factories uh, to China. Nothing has been brought in to replace that kind of work. We know that. And it doesn't look good. But that's the facts, folk. If you can't stand the facts, then go and watch some fiction. That's what to do. Now, I mentioned, too, um, about uh, the plan to destroy society as it stood. They said that everything... I can remember some of the top writers uh, many years ago, the big players, even the ones who set up the American educational system. They came from the Frankfurt School. John Dewey and others talking about the average American being mentally ill. And he described mental illness. He and others once, ever since have used the same format. You're mentally ill if you still believe in a Christian God, for one thing. That was one of their big points. And you were mentally ill if you still wanted to be married and have children. The state should, should take care of who breeds, you see. The fittest should breed, uh, with permission, that is. And not necessarily keep, take care of their children. The state was supposed to take care of their children for you. Have you looked at the thousands and thousands of children that are snatched from their homes now? Everywhere? You think that's coincidence? You probably do. But also, too, you had this sort of misogyny coming into it as well. And, uh, again, Charles Galton Darwin, one of the biggest players that we know of because he was involved in numerous think tanks across the world. He was a physicist, a descendant of Charles Darwin, uh, completely believed in the same format of survival of the fittest, etc. And in his own book, The Next Million Years, the, uh, he called it, um, he said that they would use inoculations. Uh, they put stuff in the water and in the food supplies to make men more effeminate. They would alter the hormonal systems of the body in men and in women. And uh, that's been done. That has been done. There's no doubt about it. The vast increase in homosexuality is just astonishing. And then again, it's augmented by the indoctrination at school. Now, why would they have so much trouble to make sure that this was a, a, a prime mandate? After all the things happening in the world, all the social problems, this is at the top of the list to make sure that, that lesbians and, and gays and all the rest of it uh, get all these particular special rights. Why, why is it so, so important? Because these guys at the top don't give a damn about them. But they use them. All groups are used, you see. Well, Charles Galton Darwin talked about that too, you know, and he, he says we must get men out of the picture, basically. They, we've got to stop them being head of the household. 
authoritarian figures that, were, that, were, that their, their children would emulate, their, their boys would emulate. So they, they emasculated them, even through all the comedies. So many comedies would emasculate the male, and the guy's always sitting there as a, a real drip of a character, and the woman's always in charge. And the children are always nagging him. And uh, that, that became the standard type of comedy for many, maybe 20, 30 years. And now we have it coming down to absurdity, of course. And I've mentioned the other, the other day there where Hillary Clinton is now saying that if you want American aid abroad, you must put this at the top of the, the top of your projects and that's to make sure special rights for gays, etc. in your, your countries. Obama came out and says they can all come here to America, he says, if they think they're persecuted. So everybody's pretending to be gay to come over to the States. Why is this a priority? Well, we'll mention that when we come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and just talking about how everything has been turned upside down, but with a purpose too, and all groups are used uh, for the ones at the top. Remember Charles Galton Darwin too also uh, said that we, the elite, uh, will change the general population, they're talking about biologically, physically, uh, and every other way, and dumb us down too. But he also said that we, the elite, must not change ourselves. He says, we must retain our original brains, our capacity to be wild men, he said, because uh, we'll be steering planet Earth. We're the, we're the captains of the ship, so we can't basically um, dumb ourselves down, etc., etc. And it's a must book to read to find out that the eugenicists are hard at work. And he was a, a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project, atomic bomb. He was no uh, dum-dum himself. Uh, but you'll see it from the horse's mouth if you read that book, what they had in store. Now, when they talk about uh, altering you physically and altering you mentally, uh, they don't kid around. They, they, they're not going to come out and say, um, please, we need volunteers because there's too many of you. We don't like having so much, many of you, and, and you eventually give us problems. So we're going to dumb you down and uh, feminize you and all the rest of it, you see, so that you won't fight us in the future. So what do you think they do? Well, they, they go for the water supply. They, they, they go. There's been so many reports, even even about uh, from Toronto and elsewhere, big cities, where there's so much estrogen in the water, and they blame it on the woman's pill. But, but uh, it's more than just that. It's also in your, your, your bottled water and everything else. Now, this article here is, uh, says here, really, it says, Macy's, men and women's fitting rooms. And it says, for some reason, Macy is going out of his way two weeks before Christmas to alienate an enormous block of potential shoppers. Perhaps you are unaware of Macy's and Bloomingdale's LGBT-friendly dressing room policy. At Macy's, a man who is dressed as a woman is permitted to use the women's fitting rooms. I'm sure Macy's women's shoppers don't mind. Right, woman? It gets worse. Apparently in San Antonio, Texas, a Macy's employee was recently fired from her job for not permitting a young man in drag to enter the women's dressing room. The woman was fired from the Macy's San Antonio River Center department store for refusing to violate her religious beliefs by permitting a young man dressed as a woman from entering the women's dressing room. Natalie Johnson claimed she saw the young man walk out of the women's fitting room and politely told him he could not go back in because it was for women only. The cross-dressing young man claimed that he is a female. 
I mean, this is, this is madness. You, you know it's a guy. I don't care what they claim they are, right? You understand that you, you, you're someone's doing the, the mind, and there's an F involved here, because that's what they call it at the top, by the way, it's an official term to use. When they make you, it's very Orwellian, uh, comply with what you, you, you see is, is not the case. Johnson said that he was wearing makeup and girls' clothing, but clearly he was a male. The cross-dress was accompanied by five other individuals, and the group argued with expletives uh, that Macy's is LGBT-friendly, to which Johnson replied that Macy's is also non-discriminatory towards religion and that it would be against her religious beliefs to lie that he was a woman or compromise with homosexuality. The group then demanded to speak with the manager. When Johnson was confronted by her employer, she explained that she could not allow a male to change in a female's fitting room quite naturally. It sounds rather natural, isn't it? Johnson's boss referred to Macy's LGBT policy, which allows transgender people to change in any dressing room they want. However, Johnson pointed out the same policy also protects against religious discrimination, and in this case it protects her rights to her beliefs that were being violated. The manager demanded that she comply with the LGBT policies or lose her job. Johnson refused to go against her sincerely held religious beliefs. It's also your sane beliefs, by the way, that this is a guy. This is a fellow, <laughs> right? As sanity has been questioned here. Anyway, it was, she was terminated from her job. It says, now I can't imagine why Macy's found it necessary to fire the woman, especially at the height of Christmas shock and seizing. Presumably with the boss standing right there, Johnson's cooperation or permission wasn't needed to allow the female, in quotation marks, shopper, access to the women's fitting rooms. I'm also not clear from the report why Natalie felt that allowing the cross-dresser into the women's fitting rooms would constitute a lie on her part. Well, she'd be lying to herself. You say, okay, I'll, 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 you are a woman. Okay, you're a woman, or you're Napoleon, whatever it is. Perhaps her job involved keeping track of the number of male and female shoppers in the fitting rooms at any given time. But then it goes into the whole points of, okay, um, what about toilets? What about stalkers? What about predators? Understand? It opens up a whole avenue of madness, because madness can only spout more madness. That's the offspring of madness, is madness. You understand? And somebody wants this madness. To be across the world, don't they? And they're doing a great job of it too. Now this article too, I've mentioned about uh, where you get most of your ideas from, uh, your behavior, even your sexual behavior, it comes from fiction. And I've mentioned quite a few. And, and then one of the main jobs of Hollywood is to create the world culture. I've talked about this before, where they were given uh, the go-ahead by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations back in the 60s, to do this very thing. And Hollywood, too, has got an amazing history, if you went to it, because many of the producers were kicked out of Germany in the 30s for doing the same thing there. I've, I've mentioned um, some of the, uh, the Sin City series that CBC did. You've got to watch them and see what was happening there, where they were, they were hiring thousands of these down-and-out, poverty-stricken uh, women in Germany, and then they called them hoofers, by the way, and dancing on stage naked, And then they brought the whole act over to America, gave them a very skimpy outfit, and did the same darn thing there to get America going as well. And they're all communists too. Back with more after this break. You're 
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the Matrix. We're talking about Hollywood and its big, big role in turning the culture upside down. Because people, just like monkeys, monkey see, monkey do, they emulate what they see. And Hollywood is so well known for turning out all your major uh, movies. But the same people and all the crews at nights do all their moonlighting on porno movies as well. Because I think they do 87% of pornos for the world, all kinds by the way, always have done too. So uh, this article here is a, a kind of whitewash. It's, it's rather tame for, for, the, for according to the topic I'm actually on, actually. But it says um, it says several stars have come forward recently with casting couch tales. This is the sort of stuff people gobble up at the supermarkets, but it's from Fox News, saying they were appalled and shocked and were asked for sexual favors in order to get coveted jobs in Hollywood. Nothing new about that. But for all the talk of outrage, a few of the alleged perpetrators have been named. In fact, a number of entertainment industry experts and insiders declined to even comment on the hot button issued when approached by FoxNews.com. So why are entertainers' uh, pros mum quiet, in other words, when it comes to sexual predators in Hollywood? And that's basically all of them, folks. The whole, the whole of Hollywood is nothing but predators from all levels, all genders. Actors don't name names for several reasons. Many times it's because they want to move on from the unpleasant experience or because they succumb to it or the perpetrator was so huge that they do not want to defame that person because they think highly of their work. What it really is is they're terrified of getting bumped off because it's a massive mafia system there, believe you me. I mean, we've had, we've had stars running in Canada who, who've claimed the same thing, that their lives were in danger. It says others don't want to be labelled a snitch or feel nobody will believe them because it's such a cliché. Sadly, the cliché does not perpetuate because the creative process in and of itself can be a seductive process and temptation is non-stop in Hollywood. Then it goes on about people who have told them of date rapes and so on by major male stars and producers and all the rest of it. It's just the usual stuff. Another friend confided to Galan that she was approached by an award-winning actor she found attractive. However, she went back to his place to discuss scripts and things, things took an ugly turn. Even though she was willing to be romanced, that never happened. He beat, then raped her. She spent years in recovery, conflicted and ashamed. You understand all the cops stay away from this kind of stuff? Because, as I say, it, it's, a, it's a, literally a, a mini-world in itself with its own rules and, and regulations. And they take care of problems, as you say. According to Irwin, by not revealing the predators, celebrities are contributing to the problem and putting others at risk of becoming the next victim. So it goes on and on and on about uh, the various things that have been happening, what they're trying to do about it and so on. And uh, it's quite a long article, but, but as I say, I don't think you could, you could really go into that place without being corrupt, either corrupted already or corrupted as soon as you're there because the whole damn system is just like one Babylon or Sodom and Gomorrah. That's really what it is. And that's always been like that too. But I'll put this up anyway in case any of your children want to run off to Hollywood and go and help them if they do. Now, neuroscience is coming in big time uh, trying to make a name for itself and legitimize itself 
one of the sciences that wants to run your lives for you. And they do it by taking brain scans and then seeing what's wrong with you and how they'll treat you, etc. They're trying to get into law big time. And I can remember when DNA came in, it was going to be, evidence would be irrefutable with DNA. And lots of guys were locked inside. Even one of the first ones in Canada, I remember, were locked up. And a few years later, it came out that the woman who they brought over from Australia, the scientist who confirmed the DNA, actually was swayed by some people, uh, even the judges and the cops, to go against the evidence and, and say it was definitely his. So anything is a con. Our problem is we believe this. Oh, it's irrefutable. It's, it's like the computer. Well, the computer says so. Same thing. Now it's neuroscience, you see. And I'll take a lot of uh, craziness as we work ourselves through neuroscience. But they really want to bring this in big time and scan children. All this stuff has to do with scanning children at birth to detect what they'll say are coming abnormalities and how the state must treat you all from birth right through to make sure you're the, the perfect citizen that is very politically correct and just loves everyone and, uh, and is very obedient, you see. That's really what it's for. So neuroscience seek to determine how brain function affects behavior, and the law is concerned with regulating behavior. It's therefore likely that developments in neuroscience will increasingly be brought to bear on the law. This report sets out some of the areas where neuroscience might be of relevance, along with some of the limits to its application. Specific issues discussed include risk assessment and probation and parole decisions, detecting deception, assessing memory, understanding pain, and non-accidental head injury. And uh, so they're starting to work with judges and courts and, and even getting folk off with it, saying, well, they can't help being a psychopath. You know, you just killed four or five people, but, you know, you can't help it, you know. And... Um, and they're also, as I say, going, wanting to bring in scans to uh, catch benefit cheats. They almost, it's like the fingerprinting, they started with the people who were collecting food stamps in some countries and, and welfare, to get welfare benefits. Scans could catch benefit cheats. This is the same thing for neuroscience. That the brain scan, brain, uh, scan brain scans that test individual pain experience could be used to spot potential cheats within 10 years, it has been claimed. Imaging and other aspects of neuroscience could also be used in the future to assess the public risk posed by convicted criminals, but it's also to do with the ones who might become criminals, you see. This is the whole point of it all. You know, years ago, these same eugenicists, under different names, of course, they always change their names when things, it's just like the, the weather debate ends up in nonsense and becomes ridiculed, so they change their name. Now it's, now it's called bioethics, they call themselves. But anyway, neuroscience is part of them, and uh, they want to... Years ago, as I say, they used to measure your head and, and the space between your eyes, and even the lobes of your ears, and say, oh, this child may become a criminal. Yep, and then they get all these charts and, and, and nonsense that they made up, just like the IPCC hockey stick graph, and, uh, and, that, and that was enough to get people sent off for lifelong treatment. So now it's going to be neuroscience and scanning your brain, you see. It says, um, but the Royal Society said any question of using brain test results as evidence in court should be approached with great caution. Now, when you see a whole spiel or a rush of these articles across the world at the same time, you know this is all coming from the same source. This is how ideas get into our minds. We can't miss them. 
and they're making sure that everyone gets the idea of implanting uh, in advance these kind of ideas. So when it comes into being and you have to go for your scan, you think, well, you know, it seems kind of familiar to me, the idea. I guess it's normal. And away you go, you see. Predictive programming. It concludes that brain scans cannot identify would-be murderers and there's no, no gene that will inevitably turn a person into, into a violent psychopath. That's what they say. But they say they can actually see from the frontal lobe if you are psychopathic or not. Plus, if you question you at the same time, what parts light up. So working group chairman Professor Nicholas McIntosh from Cambridge University said scientists were already close to being able to tell if a person is genuinely feeling pain or just pretending. Brain scans may soon reveal the neural pathways that provide a signature of subjective pain. Such a test would open the door to identifying benefit cheats or fraudulent personal injury claims and so on. So they're trying to find so many ways to bring this stuff into being. Tonight I'm also putting a link cutting through the matrix.com on a list of countries that are really pushing for uh, a parliament of the world through the United Nations. Uh, and I put a list up there and the organizations inside your countries are getting funded by your own government, by the way, uh, to, uh, and foundations to push for this parliament of the world. They're getting so desperate now since so many of the things have been pushing to, take, to, to create a parliament of the world and understand that this whole idea with climate change and carbon taxes is the beginning of the big, big push because it will become a parliament. Everything, it's all economics, you understand. That becomes government. And uh, it's kind of falling off a bit, so they're pushing like crazy to get this parliament of the world up and running. They're desperate for it. So I'll put a list of them up tonight at cuttingthroughmidgets.com. Now, with all propaganda, you always get casualties, especially when it's scary propaganda. And for all the fake uh, stories that came out of BBC on their nature programs, of, oh, the world's going to be scorched by the year 2010 or 12, there's been folk killing themselves and everything along the way. Remember that couple I read a few years ago that committed suicide because they thought the future was going to be so bleak with desertification and no water and everything? in the U.S., that they killed themselves. They're only, it's only a couple of many that have done this sort of stuff. And the repetitive indoctrination at school to terrify them, to make sure they believe as they're supposed to believe as they grow up and obey. A head teacher got a roasting yesterday for turning the school heating off on one of the coldest days of the year to save the planet. See, you also, you also get your zealots. You should give them special uniforms for that, you know. And it says, um, it says people shivered in coats, hats, and scarves as temperatures fell to just one degree centigrade, 34 Fahrenheit. Head Rob Benzie switched off the radiators to show how the secondary school could cut its carbon footprint. No kidding. But some staff and parents slammed the barbaric plan. One teacher called it beyond stupid and added it was absolutely ridiculous. Well, that means, I guess, there's occasional censor amongst some teachers. I've never worked in such cold. I'm all for saving the planet, but this was barbaric. Nobody could work properly, and children could not even grip a pen through their gloves. The mum of a 12-year-old at Ansford Academy in Castle Cary, Somerset, said she was shaking when she came home. I was absolutely furious. A father added, turning the heating off in December is just mental. I can't believe the children learnt anything. I'm very angry with the schools. 
But Mr. Benzie, who's 52, defended the successful experiment last Friday, locally the coldest day of the winter so far, and vowed to stage regular eco-days at the 640-pupil school. He said we cut the heat to see if we can lower our carbon footprint. We let pupils wear as many jumpers as they liked. Everyone seemed happy enough, although it did get pretty chilly. We sent letters to parents telling them of the plan. We had only one complaint, and that was from a former member of staff. But in the end, they just got on with it. Mr. Benzie said he hoped for another eco-day next term, adding, I like it to be a regular event. We have too much heating. Sometimes I have to turn it down as it can make students fall asleep. The idea was actually thought up by a small, small number of pupils from our student eco-group. Now, you can imagine how Nazi-like these characters will grow up to be. Hmm? Or Stasi-like, because it's all the same thing, folks. As they grow up, they'll be even more zealots than, than this Mr. Mr. Benzi here. And they'll be coming around your houses with fining, fines and tickets and all that stuff. School, you know, school is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing because it's totally politicized. It's social agendas and political agendas and very little to do with actual education to help you get on in life. It's pure communist indoctrination. As Mr. Bezmanov talked about too. And also again, back, back to neuroscience. How is it affecting the age of criminal responsibility? Age of criminal responsibility is too low, experts say. You know, you've just got experts for everything now, you know. Advances in neuroscience suggest the age of criminal responsibility, which is 10 in England, Wales, Northern Ireland, might be too low according to a study. The Royal Society report considers areas where recent scientific findings could have an impact on the law. At the age of 10, parts of the brain connected with decision-making and judgment are still developing, the study says. Well, that's why they indoctrinate them at that age. They don't have any worldly wisdom to to bounce off the, the new indoctrination with. But it says there are limits to how the science can be used in court. And Professor Nicholas McIntosh, who chaired the working group that compiled the study, said that's now incontrovertible evidence that the brain continues to develop throughout adolescence. Well, that's new. That's a new idea, is it? He said some regions of the brain, including parts responsible for decision-making and impulse control, are not fully mature until at least the age of 20. And he says, now that clearly has some implications of for how adolescents behave, he said. So anyway, they want to, to raise it. Uh, it's 18 years old in Belgium, 16 years in, in Spain. I'll suggest that, in other words, they're going to let children, they want people off if, if they commit murder below the age of 16 or 18. Stuff like that, and rape and pillaging. Maybe they'll recruit them too for work, to work for governments or something like that. Now, for the women out there too, the women have a hard time. We all know how it's hard done by because of the communist indoctrination and the Bernays indoctrination too with fashion and many other things, plus Hollywood again. But, uh, it's amazing, too, that so many women now give up their firstborn, eh? Ever wondered about that? See, nothing's by chance. Nothing at all that happens in the world is ever by chance. There's always preparation and patterns to things. Anyway, Chinese doctors have succeeded in using an ovary from an aborted female baby to treat a woman who was suffering from menopause syndrome. Number two, well, why waste it, eh? I mean, you know, it's... You know, time's money and so is flesh. 
and the number two hospital of Zingzhou University has transplanted the fetus ovary in a woman from the northern part of Henan province whose surname is Feng. Feng, now 28, has been easily stressed and suffering from mood swings, disturbed sleep and insomnia over the past two years while her skin was becoming coarse. Doctors diagnosed early menopause syndrome caused by premature senility of her ovaries, they were getting stupid I guess, and transplanted this fetus ovary on the patient. Since then Feng's skin has resumed its natural softness and she's enjoyed a good night's sleep. Now you can imagine where this is all going to go. Where women in their 40s are going to start to want this to get nice smooth skin and give them that, you know, nubile younger look. Obviously, this is where it's going to go. Mind you, there's no end to the material. It's all free to them too. I mentioned as well about the laser that's coming out now. It's like they actually have it. I just touched on it a few days ago. Please test laser that blinds the rioters. A shoulder-mounted laser that emits a blinding wall of light capable of repelling rioters is to be trialed by police under preparations to prevent a repeat of this summer's looting and arson. And it says, The technology developed by a former Royal Marine Commando temporarily impairs the vision of anyone who looks towards the source. They had that back in the 80s, actually. Uh, and there's different settings on it in the, in the Marine Commandos where you can actually, a whole army, a whole regiment can be coming towards you and if you swept it across the oncoming soldiers, each one looks staring in your direction, uh, could be temporary, or if you put the setting up, permanently blinded. It could fry the retina. Anyway, it says uh, it, has, it has impressed the division of the Home Office, which is testing a new range of devices because the growing number of violent situations facing the police. They obviously say it's going to get a lot more violent, say. Eh? It can fire 500 meters, not bad, eh? And a light 3 meters squared. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And I'll go to callers now. There's Fred from BC online. You're there, Fred. Hello. Hi, Alan. Yes. Hi. Um, just wanted to share a few impressions of Cuba. Um, I was recently there, and I've had a chance to travel around BC recently and, and Southeast Asia. And uh, wherever I go in BC, there's there's heavy spraying almost daily, and I noticed that in Southeast Asia as well. I spent about six weeks there, and in particular. Uh, Malaysia and Vietnam, um, just very, very heavy spraying. Mm-hmm. But uh, I spent uh, two weeks in Cuba recently and uh, didn't notice any spraying there at all. And uh, not surprisingly, my chronic cough disappeared for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And um, I felt actually very healthy for a change. And I, I just don't know if I got lucky and there was a, a two-week spell there where they weren't spraying or if... Um, if that just happens to be the norm, I'm just wondering um, what your thoughts are on Cuba, whether Cuba is, you know, despite all its faults, is, is trying to resist uh, uh, the New World Order and maintain its independence in some way, or, um, yeah, I am just would just like to know some of your thoughts on, on Cuba. Well, Cuba hasn't signed on to so many agreements. I think you have to sign on to be sprayed. 
as a global agenda, which will accomplish many things, including depopulation, as you say, bronchial problems. Lots of folk end up dying with pneumonias and various other things. But uh, Cuba, I know that when the spring started in earnest in Canada, it was about 1998, and right when Canada signed was called the Open Skies Treaty. And it was very vague on what this Open Skies Treaty happened to be. Uh, and uh, when you really tried to look into it in depth, you couldn't find really the, the nitty-gritty of what it was. But we signed it anyway. Other countries signed it as well. And I think these were the initial countries that all ended up with the first heavy, heavy springs on a continuous basis. I doubt if Cuba's done it. And personally, I, I think Cuba also, because they have a lot of organic farming there, everything's organic. And um, I think the idea is to wait till Castro's dead, and then it'll revert back to the same mafia mob that used to run Cuba in the past before Castro came in. And they'll have a little paradise for themselves there too that's uncontaminated. That's that's a good possibility that will happen. But you're, you're right too. I know that um, some of the countries you've, you've mentioned there too, I get reports from people living in them uh, and they give me updates all the time on the spraying there. And BC definitely, yeah, you get an awful lot in, in BC, no doubt about it at all. A lot of folk uh, email me who who are very sick all the time with this stuff. And uh, if I could just ask one more quick question. Um, when I was in uh, Havana, I noticed there were a couple of, well, one especially big obelisk and another obelisk as well. And I'm just wondering if you know anything about, like, the, the Mason- Masonic influence in Cuba, either in the past or in the present at all. Oh, on both, absolutely. Uh, I could go into detail, certainly, on the, on the, uh, before Castro came in, but... Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the particular mafia I'm talking about uh, leave obelisks all over the place. Um, there's a lot in Switzerland, and the big ones that they have are black, in fact, and they're capped by silver. And uh, there's some there in Cuba. And, of course, Castro himself and the, the crew that came in as well also were Masons. So, so it's, yeah, they're in that country too. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Alan. And thanks for calling. Uh, Cuba also... Uh, was a go-between for the Bronfmans during the, the Prohibition era. His cruiser ships full of booze used to come in there, and they, they were all uh, a certain type of basins as well. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. And maybe Bob from Texas and Frank from North Carolina can call tomorrow. Thank you.